believers all over the world and members of the household of faith in the universe of God, you're welcome to today's program in Jesus' name. The way we respond to our situations matters before God. When I realize that the greatest challenge you are facing today is a complete broken focus on Jesus Christ himself. Broken focus on Christ is one of the greatest challenges to our faith today. Why am I saying this? We need to know who is Jesus Christ. Failure to put Christ in his proper position in our life, in our faith, is actually responsible for the crisis of our faith today all over the world. We should not forget what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus Christ is the author, the finisher, and the perfecter of our faith. We need to go back to the root. The Bible says, maybe we should read it, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, if Ruth can help us. So looking at life, its storms, its adversities, controversies, from the natural human point of view, is a trap to derail you from your natural focus in Christ. The scripture says, Jesus Christ is the common center of our unity and the object of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Let's listen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like it. Focus. Today, trouble happened because we are losing focus on Christ. Failure to give Jesus, I repeat, his proper position is actually responsible for the crisis of our faith and the faith of many people today. Jesus never said we will not face trials and temptation in this earth. He said clearly, they will happen. In the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Through the gospel, Jesus himself was object of controversies. In the book of John, chapter 7, verse 12. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to the scriptures. Our response should be based on the scriptures. I'm talking about your faith in Christ. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. You hear that? There were much complaint in the people. Some say, Jesus is good. Some say, he's a deceiver, he deceives people. It happens to him. So if Jesus Christ, the head of the church, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, faced controversies, prejudices, who are we not to face controversies? We are living in a complex and contradictory world. Only faith pleases God. Acceptance of God and His ways, acceptance of Christ as Lord and Savior is a personal conviction. That is why salvation is a personal issue. We should understand that Jesus cares for the people, cares for others. 
In that respect, I said, Jesus Christ understands the principle of democracy and democratic rules because he was a man of the people. During his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ responded to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of thousands of people who came willingly to him by faith. He never forced himself to anyone. He never forced himself to them. But rather, he always checked the faith of those who came to him to check their genuine willingness by asking them probing questions. He said to those come, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? Do you believe the Son of Man can do this? If you believe, all things are possible. That was the attitude of Christ. If it's not by force, it is a conviction. Okay. When, yes, thank you, a conviction of the heart. When people like Nicodemus, we know in that famous passage on the book of John chapter 3, came to Jesus in the night, in the midst of a lot of controversies, he came with a willing and humbled heart to hear from Jesus. When Jesus saw that, Jesus taught him for hours. And we have the record in the book of John chapter 3. When some came to query Jesus' message, some others was looking at Jesus, rejecting his message, querying him. Jesus remained silent. Everything he did in his life was for a purpose. His purpose is always meant for salvation. The Bible says to be like Jesus Christ, that is our goal. And to be like him, we must live and behave the way he did. In righteousness, he responded to every situation. And Jesus had followers, had disciples, and Jesus gave them commandments. What is Jesus' command to his ministers and to all believers? Let's remember Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Let's listen to what the Lord says to those who believe him, I want to follow his ways. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Denying yourself must, means you must choose to do God's will rather than our own will. And Jesus further gave another emphasis in the book of John chapter 15, verse 16. These are the two guidelines to every follower of Jesus. John 15, verse 16. Let's listen to what Jesus said. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you go and bear fruit and your fruit will remain. When we accept Jesus, we must be fully aware of the implication of following Jesus. We know a man called Saul. Saul rejected the new way of Christ. He persecuted the church 
in a very deep way. On his way to Damascus, with the aim of arresting all those who believe in Christ, there was a man, a disciple who called Ananias, who was aware of who Saul was, and everybody was running away from Saul. Ananias was a disciple of Christ. But the Bible says Jesus revealed himself to him in a dream and telling him there is a man called Saul. Ananias had prejudice against Saul because of the persecution. His response to Saul was negative as a disciple of Christ. Jesus said, instructed him to go and to pray for that man. But Ananias, because of his feelings and emotions, resisted. He said, Lord, this man is persecuting the church everywhere. Jesus answered and he said, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. That's what he said. In Acts chapter 9 verse 15, and he has still argued, say, Lord, this man has done so many things. But when Jesus said, he is my chosen vessel, the revealing word of Christ came and Ananias submitted to the will of Christ. When he knew by the revelation what is the position of Jesus Christ concerning Saul, he quickly submitted and obeyed. And the offense in his heart and the prejudice against Saul disappeared immediately. He then obeyed the instruction he received from Jesus and went to meet the person whom he considered as a wolf or a tiger in Acts chapter 19, verse 16. And immediately he saw Saul, he said, Brother Saul. The prejudice disappeared. Then Ananias prayed for Saul. This clearly indicates that we don't pray against people, we pray for people. We intercede for people. Jesus commands to pray for those who persecute us. That's the command of the Lord. So if we fail to do this, we are sinning against Christ's command by failing to do what is right in the sight of Jesus. I'm saying this to reset our focus, our message, our faith on God, so our faith will not be shaken. What makes Paul a vessel is just grace of God. If anyone is a minister of God, a servant of God, it is by the grace of God. Paul recognized it. So the vessel has more responsibility before God than the others. This is enough to humble everyone who is a minister. That only those who have spiritual discernment can recognize the grace of God in your life or in a person's life. In John chapter 1 verse 47, Nathaniel had full of prejudice against the people of Nazareth. But Jesus looked in his heart and saw the truth and he submitted to it. This clearly indicates that Jesus Christ looks at the heart to determine who is his servant or not. We humans 
we look naturally at the outward appearance. But the Bible says that the Lord himself looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Go read from verse 7. John chapter 2 verse 25. The Bible says Jesus knows what is in man. He knows He knows the motivation of our actions and deeds. Therefore, to be a servant of Christ Jesus is by pure grace of God. Later Saul, who later became Apostle Paul, gave us a clear understanding and warning about this. Paul acknowledged the grace of God in his life later and said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Thank Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has strengthened me and considered me faithful and appointed me to, to his service. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, yet I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Mercy was shown to me. Many things we do because we ignore the spiritual reality of Jesus and Jesus' messages. That's the problem when we lose focus. Saul, who later became Paul, was a chosen vessel. What did he say to us today? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and listen to what Paul is saying to the church and to believers and servants of God today. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, mm-hmm. that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen to you again. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are earthen vessel. This is earthen vessel. Weak vessel. Human being, like everybody else. But the treasure in the vessel is the grace of God. Means the glory belongs to God, not to any man. Paul is saying, we are just vessels. But the glory of everything belongs to the Lord himself, not to man. So let us keep remembrance of the warning of Paul to the believers in Corinth. Consequently, he said a further warning to all of us in the book of Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, hmm. but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk. Sorry to interrupt you. The context, they were not of division. Not of division. I follow this man. I follow this man. I follow this man. I follow this man. This denomination, this one. There was a lot of division. And Paul has come into the matter. Let's listen to what he says. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You listen to what Paul said. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? He said, who am I? Who is the servant? Faith should not be based on him. Faith should be based on Christ to whom belong all the glory. He further said, what is my job? I planted, Apollo watered, 
But God makes it increase. That doesn't mean God is the one that gives you faith, not man. When you hear the message of the gospel, and the Lord gives you the clear understanding and conviction of it, faith begins to arise in your heart. It's God that opens our heart to our spiritual understanding. Jesus spoke in parables anywhere he go. And many of his messages remain unclear to many people. So it takes humility to approach the things of God differently. So he who plants and he who waters, they are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's what the Bible says. So please, let's take opportunity to reset our focus on Christ, not on man. So I said this simply to say something that faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotional reaction. Why am I saying all this? We are human beings. We have feelings. We have emotions when we are hurt. But when we are emotionally controlled, we lack the sense of judgment as believers. So when we are emotionally hurt, as we all humans at first, we face the temptation to act out of Christ's character and standard. And when we do so, when we act out of Christ's character, the response can be as damaging or even more to ourselves and others. That's the reason why Jesus rebuked singularly three of his most favorable disciples. You know Peter, you know John and James. These are the pillars of the early church. Jesus corrected them seriously in many matters. Why Jesus did that? Jesus wanted them to look at things from God's point of view. So Jesus corrected them for failing to look at things from Christ's point of view. And that's the focus. When our focus is lost in Christ Jesus, we focus on ourselves. Let us consider quickly the case of Peter. Let's see in the book of Matthew chapter 26 from verse 50 to verse 54. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Hmm. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? Jesus knew that in everything God is to say something. In that situation, Jesus mentioned, Peter, who loved and respected Jesus dearly, when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his emotional reaction was overwhelmed. What he did, he drew a sword and attacked one of them and injured him. And Jesus rebuked him, reminding him the reason why he came. And Jesus came directly to the man, prayed for him and comforted him. And he says to Peter, put your sword back in place. Are you not aware that I come to do my father's will? 
That's what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't ask anyone to come and fight for him. Never. What Jesus was correcting Peter for. Peter, don't fight for me. I don't need your sword. So Jesus never called anyone to fight human beings, even though they don't accept Christ's message. Jesus' armory is righteousness. All said, every believer in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, you can read, we are not fighting our fellow human beings. They are not your enemy. They are not our enemies. Jesus' aim on earth is to come to give life, not to destroy. That's the gospel of the good news we all believe. And the Bible says God never sent his son to judge, to condemn anyone, but to save. The life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, which we all believe today, offers us to set human beings free from all yokes and burden and give eternal life to those who believe in his redemptive death and resurrection. So, rather than fighting back like Peter did, Jesus reached out in compassion and healed the person Peter injured. By losing focus on who Jesus is, Simon Peter began to fight back to protect him. So his focus was derailed. He forgot the teachings of Jesus. When the focus is broken, his feelings and emotions come. And he began to fight and began to answer that. And that's the wrong battle. If we allow our situation to affect our faith, and our feelings begin to move and begin to control our faith, then we are falling into the trap of fighting the wrong battle and acting out of character, out of faith. Let us look at the case of John and James. There were three. We talk about Peter. Let's talk about John and James, another occurrence of Jesus' correction to his disciples. When Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, let's briefly consider Luke chapter 9, from verse 51 to 56. Let me set the context. It was all about the Samaritans. We all know historically that the Hebrews and the Samaritans did not have any relationship. They were completely separated because of prejudices. So Jesus wanted to share his message to them because he never rejects anyone. But Jesus did not just move to their midst like that. Let's listen what Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 9 verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Can't you imagine what can offense can do? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. You can see, Jesus said 
I didn't come to destroy, but to build. But he accepted people's decision. He did not force himself. He left to another village, the scripture says. Jesus never forced anyone to accept or to receive him. He did not take the decision to continue to provoke the Samaritan by going to them. Rather, he sent people ahead of him, messengers, to check their willingness to accept him to receive him or not. When the messengers came back to the report, they said, no, Lord, they don't want you. But them themselves were angry because they respect for Jesus. And they reacted out of control, emotion, and Jesus corrected them immediately. So because of their love and respect for Jesus, they wanted to fight back. Shall we call fire? Can't you imagine? For them. So, the Bible says clearly to us, we need to set our faith in Christ Jesus. So Jesus was not happy because his character is not against people. He turned and rebuked them and said again, what kind of spirit do you have? Jesus never forced himself. He left to another village because he knew the time has not come. They were not ready for him. We have many occurrences of this in Acts chapter 16, verse 7. When Paul had the desire to go and preach the gospel to Asia, the Holy Spirit stopped him. He wanted to go to Bethany. The Holy Spirit stopped him. And during the night, he had a dream for a man of Macedonia. He concluded that's the direction he should go. God go where he's accepted, where people are ready to receive his message. What a humble reaction. Jesus left to another village. This is the balanced approach. It is not compromising. But Jesus considers other people's genuine willingness because faith is a personal conviction that must arise from each person's heart. This is what Jesus wants his personal followers to follow. When later in Luke chapter 9, he sent his disciples to go and minister to the people, in Matthew chapter 10 verse 5, he said, do not enter the town of the Samaritans. It was not a statement of rejection of the Samaritans. No, rather, Jesus knew that the Samaritans were not yet ready to receive that message because of prejudices. Jesus never forsook the Samaritan. Never. He waited for the right time for that. In John chapter 4, that opportunity finally came through a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well of Jacob in the book of John chapter 4. Jesus revealed himself to that Samaritan woman. What did Jesus do? Jesus knew they were focusing on this body. He, the first, he break the wall by saying, woman, can you give me a drink? The woman was shocked. How, how can you, uh, you ask me to give me a drink? Jesus said, if you know who is talking to you and what is the gift of God, Madam, you will ask me water. I will give you living waters. And they won't begin to argue, living waters. So Jesus, progressively from the natural focus, is taking him to the spiritual focus. That's where Jesus was going. So the woman said, ah, are you bigger than Jacob? Who gave us this for this well? Yeah? He began to argue. Jews said, hey, hey, it's Jerusalem we should go. We, is this mountain. 
So the Lord did not discuss, did not argue. And Jesus said to him, if you drink the water I gave you, you will die thirst again. And I said, okay, give me your water. He said, oh, go and call you. And Jesus supposedly revealed all the secrets of his heart and telling him everything. When the woman listened to what Jesus was saying, he said, hey, I can see you're a prophet. She discovered the prophetic inside of Jesus. Her focus changed immediately from looking at Jesus' human appearance and listened to the message of Christ. She became convinced because she's the only person Jesus said publicly, I am the Messiah, I am He. When she was convinced by what's happened, she ran immediately to the village of the Samaritans and told him, hey, a man that told me everything in my life. Because of her testimony, her people were coming because she's a Samaritan. So they came to Jesus to find out what she was saying is true or not. That's the right attitude. To examine everything, they came. They listened to him and they were convinced. And they were inviting Jesus to stay there with them for three days. The vital truth about this story of the Samaritan is the need of personal conviction in accepting the truth of Christ. It takes spiritual insight and understanding to remove the veil of prejudice. Jesus began to send his disciples to go and serve the people in need. And then he reminded them. He told them that in any house you come, you should first greet them peacefully. If they accept you, whatever food they give you, take it. But if they're not willing to receive you, then he instructed them to live in peace. That is what is right in the sight of Jesus Christ. That is what is right in the sight of every believer. So what is the heart of the matter in all these controversies and prejudices? What is the lesson the believers must learn from Jesus Christ concerning all these prejudices and controversies? Jesus warned all believers about judging others in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Let's go back to it. We are here to reset our mind. To reset our faith, to reset our belief. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Mm -hmm. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Mm -hmm. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's in it. Mm -hmm. And why do you look? At the speck in your brother's eye, mm -hmm. but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Mm -hmm. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. So what is this telling us today? Jesus is warning us not to be quick to judge others who seems to oppose us. As believers, we all know that when we focus on the vessel, the human appearance, we may not see anything good in a person. That was the reason the Samaritan rejected Jesus at first. 
But it takes discernment to perceive what is good in that person. When the Samaritan came to realize and see who Jesus was, they welcomed him and they received him. That is why Jesus always looks at the heart, not at human appearance. We humans, we have the natural tendency because of our senses to focus on the vessel rather than Christ. This is one of the greatest temptations everyone faces today to focus on the vessel rather than Jesus Christ himself, who is the object of our faith and the head of the church. A Christian must do what is right every day. Even when it is contrary to what he naturally wants to do. Our response as Christians and believers to situations matters the most before God. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. I am speaking to believers. The only thing Jesus demands for anyone is faith in God, the Father who sent him. Faith is something that cannot be forced into people. Anything that is done or comes by force is not of faith. When Jesus was not welcomed, he left. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 17, we have another occurrence. When Jesus came and prayed for somebody, when the people came, they said, hey, leave our place, leave, leave, leave. Jesus took about and left. He never imposes himself his conviction a human. We are free moral agents. So we really want to bring to our mind that the great problem today is a broken focus on Christ Jesus himself. That's the fundamental issue that is challenging our faith today. So we urge believers, Oliver, to focus on Christ and protect your heart from offense. Faith is a believer's response to life challenges. This gives us the opportunity to remind ourselves about the character of Jesus as the Lord has taught us in the Beatitudes. Jesus called the people to the great mountain and tell them the beatitude which reflects the fundamental standard of Christ's character, of Christ's lifestyle. We are called to be like Jesus and to embrace his lifestyle. So, what that Jesus said, the Bible says to be like Jesus, we must be born again, but to live like him, we must follow his ways. John chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Everybody hurts somewhere. Deep, deep, deep hurts. So let's reset our focus by setting our eyes of faith on Jesus. And let's remember what he said to his sermon on the mountain concerning the beatitude. This is the lifestyle of a true Christian follower of Jesus. By the fruit, it shall be known. So, I just want to give you one hint of the beatitude in these present circumstances. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Rose, can you read for us? Matthew 
five. That's five. Five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look at this one. Among the Beatitude, this one. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. It has to do blessings in the midst of the earth where we live. What is meekness? The standard of perfect meekness is revealed in Jesus Christ's attitude toward those who resisted him, those who rejected him, and finally condemned him. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's will and endured the pains of the cross for our sake and responded with forgiveness. The meek is not easily provoked. He's gentle and long-suffering, focusing on God and committing himself to God in prayer. I want to quote Matthew Henry's commentary. I'm going to quote him, and we should remember what he said about this issue. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God and to his word and to follow his ways and his direction. And they are gentle towards all men. Titus chapter 3 verse 2. Can we read it? Titus 3, verse 2. Mm -hmm. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Can you read it again gently? Thank you so much. It speaks to the hearts. To speak evil of no one. Don't speak evil of anyone, whether he offended you or not. To be peaceable. To be peaceable. Gentle. Gentle. Showing all humility. Showing all humility. To all men. The meek can endure provocation without being enraged and fighting others back. The meek sometimes kept silent or answered in a softly and distant manner. Even though what happens is contrary to what they naturally want to do, their response is always Discern peacefully and to the point. God's word is the right answer. We're going to say anything outside the doctrine of Christ we receive. Christ's standard is our standard. That's why Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. You don't need to tell anybody you are a Christian. Let the goodness of God in your life speak. Humility speaks. Meekness speaks. This compels everybody in these circumstances to look to Jesus. He's the one that gives us faith. He's the one we are accountable for when it comes to faith tomorrow. So we should live peacefully with everyone. Leave all judgment to God in heaven when you go back there. But live with peace with everyone. Don't reject anyone because of today, because tomorrow is mystery. We have seen how Saul did, and he became later Apostle Paul. Let this humble us to focus on Christ. And not allow our emotion to lead us to attack back people. And that's the wrong answer. By doing so, we create hurts and we sin against Jesus. 
Let's be the right attitude to hold on to your faith in Christ. And I pray that the faith of everyone be anchored in Christ, in the word of God. That the Spirit of God will give us the strength, the energy to look to Jesus, to the cross, and to endure whatever we have to endure. In our lives, they will be unchangeable events. We said it to the message we preached last time, this is time to believe. We share it with everybody in the agenda of God. Time to believe is to make God your source. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your prayer. We remain in Christ. The Lord be with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. And let us not give in to the temptation to take our focus of Jesus Christ. He is the anchor of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's all about him. Amen. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Thank you. God bless you.